right, psychology nerds, welcome to Psychology and Stuff, the podcast on psychology out of Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. I'm Ryan Martin, host of Psychology and Stuff, and I'm here again with my co-host and my friend, scratch that, she is my friend first and co-host second, chair of the UW-Green Bay Psychology Program, Dr. Georgina Wilson-Dungess. How are you, Georgina? I am doing very well. I am I'm very flattered that you called me your friend first. You know, that is, that is really sweet. What a way to start our podcast this week with a, with a nice compliment. And, you know, it's great. And we are friends. Yes, we are indeed. Although we're friends who don't get to see each other very often in person, uh, which is a real drag because I'm pretty sure it's been since March since, uh, since we actually saw each other in person. But this has kind of sort of made up for it, getting to uh, check in with you every now and then. Not really at all, because um, the, you use terrible backgrounds in every virtual meeting that I ever have with you. And so we were discussing that you have this horrible, like, shark, like, about to, like, eat your whole entire body. And then you did the clown from it, like, just torturous. And so it's not the same as being together in person. You know, I was in a meeting with someone recently, and I did because she was harassing me in a similar way for my background. So I changed it to, um, I cannot remember his name. He's one of the blue collar comedy special guys who I loathe. I I do not like him at all. It might be, is it Larry the Cable Guy? Is that a person? Sure. Um, Yeah. And I I loathe this person and I will state that publicly for the record. But so does does the person that I I, uh, was talking to, but I changed it to them just to have that in my background for a while, just because she picked on me. So just know that, know that there might be more coming. Uh, spiders, oh. yeah, I know you're a big fan oh, of spiders. Oh. <laughs> wow, I see I see how it is now. You can scratch that I'm, I'm happy to be your friend thing right now, <laughs> we're just done. <laughs> well, this seems like a good time for us to get to our amazing guest, since I'm digging myself a pretty big hole. Um, she's one of the- about fact- Hunter. What's up? Oh, yes, Hunter, of course. I, I introduced Hunter last week. I didn't know I was supposed to do it again. Hunter, chime in. Jump in, Hunter. How are you, how's it going? Hunter Garrett's our new intern. How's it going, guys? Good. You did great work last week, and I'm super, super excited to have you as part of the team. Thank you so very, very much for everything. Are you having a good week, man? I'm having a wonderful week. All right. Good. I'm glad. So, excellent. So, all right. Let us get to our amazing guest today. She's one of the faculty members in our brand new sport and performance psychology master's program here at UW-Green Bay. She earned her PhD from the University of Iowa in health and human physiology with an emphasis in psychology of sport and physical activity. She researches motivation, mental skills training, and health health promotion, and she is also a certified mental performance consultant. It's Dr. Joe Morrissey. How are you, Joe? Hello, I am doing wonderfully. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Well, thanks for being here. And uh, you know, you it's so we have we have actually also yet to meet in person. I have talked to you a couple times via via Zoom and other things, and uh, but we have not uh, had the had the good pleasure to hang out yet. So I'm really looking forward to when that happens. I know. I think we might have a better chance of meeting in person at the grocery store than we than we are. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I, I told Georgina this earlier today and Hunter this earlier today. I was on campus yesterday for eight hours and mm -hmm. I saw for the first time since March and I saw a total of four people uh, throughout that time. Part of it is that I was in my office in theater hall and I didn't really leave a ton, but uh, yeah, so uh, not seeing a lot of people over there these days. Um, so I guess my first question is, uh, how are you settling into to Green Bay? I, you have some background here, right? Are you, do you have family from here or have you been, are you from the area? So I'm originally from Onalaska, Wisconsin. That's where I spent most of my childhood growing up. So most of my family is still back in the La Crosse area. And okay. then I have a couple of sisters that live up in the Minneapolis area. So I'm new to Green Bay, but um, am very familiar with Wisconsin. When I, I saw as I was, uh, when you sent me your bio today that you went to St. Ben's. Um, I sure did. And I don't know if you know this, but that I went to St. Thomas. Did you know oh, that? I did not. No, yeah, I did I, not know that. I think we're supposed to be lifelong enemies or something. I, I believe that is true. <laughs> so, um, I don't know if you also, Jason Cowell, you're outnumbered because Jason Cowell also went to St. Thomas. So we're- I, I am outnumbered. <laughs> we've got a lot of Mayak <laughs> representation in the- uh, that's, Hey, that's okay. <laughs> very good. Well, well welcome. Um, I'm super, super happy to be here. I guess I want to start or talk a little bit as we get started here about your um, uh, about the the new sport and performance psych program the courses you're teaching in that program and things like that sure yeah so super excited to be coming to uh, Green Bay and kicking off our inaugural semester with the set program which is the sport exercise and performance psychology to, uh, program so that is our master's program, which is a two-year program. Um, and we have 17 students here with us this semester um, getting started with pursuing either our applied track or our thesis track um, in sport, exercise, and performance psychology. So whether they have interest in going on and completing a PhD related to SEP or working directly into the field of sport, exercise, and performance psychology, we meet those needs for them depending on what their interests are. So we're excited to have them on board. And for the graduate program, I am teaching the professional ethics and psychology class for them this semester. Very nice. So how did you get interested in sports psych and kinesiology and other, um, other things in this, this field? Because I'm, I'm not sure it was as popular as it is now, even like five years ago, I feel like it wasn't as popular as it is now. So how did you get interested in it? Yeah, so I, I've always been interested in human behavior um, and love observing people. And so that got me to major in psycho psychology as an undergraduate at College of St. Benedict. And while I was at St. Ben's, I took, it was just an intro to site class and we had to investigate a subfield or subdiscipline of psychology. 
And so I was just kind of searching and came across sports psychology. And I think probably because I, I mean, I love sports. Um, I, I came across it somehow. And I knew from then that in some way, shape or form, I wanted to be doing something related to sports psychology. I didn't know what that was at the time. Um, so it was a lot of just like self-learning and self-discovery of what it was. And one of my professors at St. Ben's, um, had an interest in sports psychology, didn't teach a class or anything like that, but then I was able to connect with him and he was a great resource for me moving forward. Were you, so um, go ahead, Jane. One of the things I, I learned early on is that I always thought it was sports with an S psych, sports psych, because when you say it really fast, it sounds like that, but it's actually sport psych. Why? <coughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, I mean, it really is just a, a small, small difference, but what we are really looking at is you can be very specific in the sport that's you are playing in terms of getting optimal performance from a sports like perspective. So, you know, even if like a consultant is focusing on one particular sport, like say basketball, there's so many things within just that sport that you could be helping with, whether it be pregame anxiety, um, motivation, um, anxiety related to free throw shooting, for example. So you could you can focus in, in terms of your practice within one sport, or you have the option of consulting or practicing within a variety of sports. So the difference is small, but that's essentially what, what it would get at. What were you, um, were you an athlete in like school when you were growing up and in college? Is that where some of the love of sports come from? Yeah, growing up, I was always very active. Um, my two loves were track and tennis. And I think like part of what really drew me to sports psychology was injury. Um, and I, as a runner, I experienced um, stress fractures in my hips, which really set me back and essentially kind of ended my, my career with uh, running, um, at least competitively. And so I think that like when I found sports psychology, I really focused at first on the injury management and sort of like career termination types of things in terms of like how we go about terminating our career as an athlete um, and the grieving process is associated with that. And so being able to just like to make these connections between what I was learning in the classroom to my own sport experiences, I think really helped me know and come to understand that that's what I wanted to study and that's what I wanted to get into. And it's really interesting to imagine that you said like a career ending injury, that many times career ending injuries happen at a very young age. Like if I had something that ended my career, you know, like it would have been after 30 years, right? But you could retire as a 16 year old from right. gymnastics or, or something like that. Um, what's, what are some of the differences that you see um, in that sort of trajectory for young people um, in sport in particular? 
Yeah, I mean, it certainly, it certainly is a challenge when, if you're looking at something like gymnastics, your window of performance is maybe eight years, right? Um, but even, you know, the same would hold true if we're thinking of like, say an NFL player, their career, the average lifespan in the NFL is somewhere between three and five years. So something of this career termination or really identity termination, you know, dealing with the loss of an aspect of your identity is, is huge. So it really is, I mean, the, the topics and the techniques that you use are going to be similar regardless of the age or, or the athlete that you may be consulting with. It's just a matter of changing the language and the way that you're communicating these things to the athlete that you may be working with. The way that you communicate something like athletic identity to a 12 year old is going to be very different than how you communicate it and work through it with a 30 year old, for example. When you, so you is the sport participation worth it? So, I mean, I would argue yes. Um, from a pro-social development kind of model or theory is that being involved in sport is offers the opportunity and physical activity. I just don't want to focus on, on sport. I mean, anything related to movement is, is wonderful. Um, again, from like a pro, but for, especially from sport, if you are either on an individual uh, kind of sport or team setting, you learn a lot of behaviors and skills that will help you be successful in other areas of your life. Right. So something like time management, sport provides you the opportunity to learn effective time management skills because you have to balance what it means for your sport with with school perhaps with work obligations um, it helps teach cooperation team building skills um, effective communication and all of those things are going to translate over to your professional life your personal life social life and so forth so I think if we look at sports from a pro-social development perspective, certainly provides the opportunity to work on some of those things. It used, I think you used the word grief earlier, grieving when people's careers end. And I, that feels very accurate to me right now, especially as I've watched, I think a lot of athletes, young athletes careers really disrupted by the, the pandemic that um, I, I saw um, I actually have two nephews who were seniors in high school and both of them, you know, their last season of their spring sport was disrupted. One of them made college decisions that might've been different based on, based on that. And, and these are two, and, you know, to think about the, the you know, the athlete identity, these are two who really identified as athletes um, and, and that's changed very abruptly for them. And so I'm wondering, is, is that a, in your, to your knowledge, is that a common phenomenon that's happening right now? Are we seeing a lot of people who are sort of prematurely ended things and, and what toll is that taking on people? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We we're seeing athletes experience a lot of anxiety, knowing that what, what they had planned is not working out for them. So just the anxiety of the uncertainty of, of what their, their future might look like, or again, to your point with the grieving in terms of having to mourn the loss of, I'm not ever going to get my senior year back. Um, and, and one of the things that, especially with athletes, 
in this situation right now is that we spend so much time preparing their bodies like from a physical perspective and there's so many resources available to athletes from a physical perspective what's lacking is the psychological and mental preparedness and so i hope what good comes out of this is that there is going to be a need to provide mental services, emotional services to athletes at, at a young age, you know, high school students that are dealing with these types of things, um, you know, college and above probably has some of these resources, but at some of these lower, uh, younger age groups, there's not many resources that are available to kind of help them mentally cope with this stress that they're going under. And I would add, too, that I think, you know, one of the things I've seen from my own kids, both of whom are, are young but active in, in um, dance and soccer, that they really, um, they really lost a lot of, like, their social connections when this happened. That, that one of the things that their activities, that their sport and, and art were offering them was... Um, the opportunity to connect with other kids with similar interests. And when you removed that, along with removing school, I was actually, you know, we, our kids are being, are, are doing virtual learning right now, but they're, they're in person for soccer and dance. And I, I'm actually glad, like if I got to choose, that is how I would have chosen to have things set up because those relationships are so very important. When we talk about the the benefits of sport, I, I think you or, or those types of activities, I really think you, we can't minimize just the social benefit. Yep, yep, absolutely. And you know, this is why I think it's important for us to consider how we can encourage kids to move independent of sport participation. So just physical activity, being outside, um, it may be structured exercise, but encouraging more free play. Like these days, you know, when, when maybe like we were punished as kids or disciplined, we were told that we had to stay inside and couldn't go out and play with our friends. But today, now that this, yeah, it's the opposite. Kids are like, you know, parents are telling go outside and play. You can't right. use your, you can't use your technology or device and they go outside and you give them a ball and they're like okay what do you want me to do with it how long do you want me to play with it it's just like so structured because that's just even how sport is set up now to be told like what they have to do and i think we need to remove some of that structure and just really encourage that free play so that kids find activities that they enjoy doing and that that's what's going to keep them interested and involved in the sports, physical activity and exercise are things that they enjoy doing. And another part of our new master's program is the performance aspect of it. And I think that that's also really important, just um, playing and doing like imaginary play and um, taking on characters, you know, uh, those sorts of things are really important for performance um, in future career choices, like where you might have to be role-playing or being in a group dynamic where you have to perform and do presentations. And so um, can you talk a little bit about the performance part of the master's program? Yeah, so the, the performance psychology aspect of, I mean, even just the world of, of SEP is 
one of the newer uh, types of entry points in using psychology and relating it kind of to the world of sport, exercise, and performance. And so those are things that we would look at in terms of, say, a certified mental performance consultant working with someone in the business sector um, or music. A dance, you know, you can consider a sport or exercise or performance. So it could really fall under any any of those areas there. Um, but yeah, to your point, I mean, anytime that you have to deliver a presentation, um, I was talking actually with one of uh, one of the SEP students, one of my advisees about surgeons that they go into a surgery for eight hours on zero sleep, perhaps. And they have to perform and focus and concentrate for an extended period of time. So essentially what we're doing, even in nursing and the medical field is, okay, how can we take these principles that we've really been using in sport and exercise psychology and now apply them more to some of these performance types of careers that have never really utilized any of these resources, skills, or techniques that we've used within sport and exercise psychology. You, have any of you read the book When? I think it's, yeah, I think the author's name is Pink. Uh, that's the author's last name. Um, one of the things he, he talks about is uh, just what you said about surgeons. And it's really fascinating because it's the, the point of the book, which is a little different from what we're talking about, but is about sort of when and like timing and when in the day we do things and things like that and how surgeons have more errors in the afternoon than in the morning. But what he talks about that is relevant here is, is the processes they've put in place to address that, you know, and so some of the successful ways they've dealt with trying to, um, and, and some strategies they have to get people back to focusing and, um, and to double check and, and limit those errors and things like that, which is, it's really, really uh, fascinating. It's also alarming when you learn about, about some of those things and maybe never want to go to the doctor in the afternoon again. So. <laughs> Um, or do a lot of things in the afternoon. I, I found myself really thinking like, I'm not going to teach any afternoon classes anymore, but um, yeah. Like this podcast, like, why are we doing it now? It's the afternoon. <laughs> yep. You know, that earlier error of mine, that was an afternoon <laughs> error. We're going to blame that on things. There you go. So, very good. So I want to talk a little bit about um, the, the health promotion work you do. I'm really curious to know more about um, this is something that I think is personally really interesting to me and I imagine it is to listeners too. Yeah, so this is probably what gets me fired up the most um, is, is really thinking about behavior change. Um, and that, that really is the purpose of, of health promotion is how, how do we go about not only just like promoting healthy behaviors, but giving people the skills and techniques and the resources they need to adhere to a positive health behavior change. So when we, when we think of like education, there's so much education out there about like what the benefits are of eating a healthy diet, what the benefits are of sleeping seven to nine hours a night, what the benefits are of drinking half your body weight in, in ounces and, you know, the benefits of regular physical activity. We know all of that information, but health education, it's, it's not enough. 
people are still struggling to meet these recommended guidelines and adhere to these guidelines. And so we need to help these people develop the skill sets to be able to adhere to positive health behavior changes. It's just such a struggle for the vast majority of us because we're just so busy, we don't have time for it, but it's so important to our overall health. And is that accomplishable um, only one-on-one, -on -one, like with a, with a coach and, a, and an individual? Or do you think that that can be accomplished like in a organization or a business or a university, let's say? Yeah, so certainly, you know, it's always great if you can individualize things one on one, but that's not realistic. Um, and so there are certainly ways that we can have health promotion programs on a university campus. And that is usually that can be set up for employees where you're providing health information, but you're also providing things like walk and talk breaks, um, lunch and learn series where people can bring a, a packed lunch and then they come and they learn about, okay, if I want to fit 30 minutes of physical activity in, into my day, how do I learn about prioritizing my time, managing my time and finding my time in their day? So you're doing a lot of, you know, maybe activities and having worksheets for people to fill out in terms of their, you know, time. And so it can be done at an organizational level and worksite health promotion would be kind of that area that is um, looking at how do we go about encouraging and, and helping people at a group level adhere to health behaviors. What do you think about the role of technology in this? I think about application like smartphone apps and things like that that are designed that are essentially wellness apps. Um, do you think there's potential there and are there some that you've seen to be successful? Yeah, so I think there's, I mean, there's always the pros and the cons of, of technology. Um, technology is having a sit for a long period of time. Um, and so being sedentary because we're spending so much time in front of our screens, um, kids are, it's a full-time job now in terms of the number of hours they spend in front of a screen. So that would be the downside of, um, of technology. But yeah, some of these activity monitors and these health apps that we have are really, really great for being able to monitor our, uh, our health behaviors, whether that be sleep, whether that be physical activity in terms of steps. And then we can use that information moving forward about, okay, what are some of the positive health behaviors I want to change and using these apps to make progress each and every week toward them. As long as we use it for information, we don't want, we don't want any of these apps to control our behaviors in terms of, oh my gosh, I have 14,000 steps and now I have to walk in circles until I meet that, right? Like, it doesn't need to control our behaviors because that can establish kind of like a negative relationship. But if we use it for informational purposes, much better off that way. It's interesting. I think one of the things I've, I've never had a, um, like a step count or a pedometer or anything, but I, I think one of the things I always noticed about the people in my life who did have them is that they seem to use them almost exclusively for information that it was like, at the end of the day, they'd look at it and say, I didn't do very well today. Or they'd say, I did well today, but it didn't necessarily seem like the next step came where they'd say, oh, I 
I got to do a better job of walking tomorrow. I never felt like there was that sort of movement from, and this is purely anecdotal, people I know who have them, but I, I often found myself wondering, it, does it end up just being essentially a shaming device, right? It's just this thing you look at at the end of the day that makes you feel bad. Yep. And, and that's, and that again is like why the piece of having someone that has expertise in behavior change can help you through that process. And so that it does not become the point where just reminding people that this is for informational purposes, what can we change um, in order for you to reach your goals and, you know, meet those recommended guidelines that you're aiming for and not get to the point where it is that, you know, controlling has that controlling, um, you know, force over you and is kind of in that shaming mentality. And you said the word motivation. And I think um, what would be your advice if, um, to motivate someone to do one thing better. Like not everything, like you, you can't be, you know, like do a whole entire health promotion campaign in 24 hours, but what would you say that would, might motivate someone to take a baby step toward that? I, I like the idea of utilizing the 10% goal. So, you are able to say, okay, I got seven hours of sleep. Do not jump immediately up to eight hours because that's just not realistic to think you can get an additional eight, an additional hour of sleep in one day. So I would say motivate, if you need to use the word motivate, motivate yourself to set a 10% goal with whatever health behavior change you want to make. If it's water, Nope. Do not go. Okay. I drank 40 ounces of water. I'm now going to drink 120 tomorrow. It's not going to happen. 10% add 10% to whatever, wherever your baseline is right now would be my suggestion in one health behavior. Don't think water, sleep, stress management, uh, <laughs> physical activity, one behavior at a time. That is awesome. That is helpful. So um, we should, uh, I want to, move into our next segment here, but any final thoughts, Joe, as we, uh, as we finish up? I would just say um, one thing, if students are interested in uh, the things that we're talking about today with like exercise and physical activity and health behavior change, be on the lookout. What I'm hoping to bring to UWGB is an exercises medicine on campus program through the American College of Sports Medicine. And so um, what we're looking to do is really embrace physical activity on campus and being able to promote it for faculty, staff, and students. So that is going to be, I hope, the research uh, that I'm able to bring to campus. So if any students are interested in that, then they should certainly reach out to me and I'd be happy to have them on board. That is so very cool. Listeners couldn't see this, but Georgina and I were both clapping a little bit for the, uh, <laughs> the wellness stuff. That is awesome, awesome stuff. So thank you so very much, uh, Joe. I appreciate talking to you. We are going to transition here a little bit into our uh, final segment that we started last week, which is we're calling uh, on a positive note. What are we talking about today, Georgina? Well, we were, we were talking earlier about like things that brought us joy this week, things that um, made us happy. And I mentioned that I saw on social media that we have at UW Green Bay, we have a, uh, a faculty member 
who has a therapy dog named Willow. And I was just saying that I'm so excited that Willow has established her office hours for the fall semester. And so she'll be on campus. And although we have to stay six feet away from each other, other humans, uh, we're allowed to hug Willow. And so that is like something that's bringing me joy this week is the thought that I get to go and um, hug another living being uh, while on campus is pretty exciting. And so uh, we were just talking about some of the ways in which pets bring us joy. It is very true. And so I'm going to, before we, so I've been thinking a lot about, so I don't have a pet. Uh, currently. That's not true. I have a hamster. Uh, and so listeners in a previous episode know that I used to have a pet beetle. That beetle sadly passed away over the summer. Um, and, and when I say I used to have it, I mean, my son had it and uh, we got, it was his class pet that I thought we were taking for a weekend, but we were actually taking <laughs> forever. Uh, and I, I learned that when I said, so how long do uh, we have the beetle for? And he said, I don't know, how long do beetles live? And so... <laughs> So, um, but I do, I have noted, I really enjoy seeing one of the things that's fun about uh, the virtual meetings that we have had so much of is seeing other people's pets uh, in the background, seeing their, uh, their cats walk across their keyboards, which routinely happens in the, in the meetings I'm in. I'm not even really much of a cat person. And uh, I do very much enjoy kind of getting a look at people's pets and, and that kind of fun. Um, so we, um, it, the, the other thing I was going to say is, by the way, I want to put a couple of plugs in for Jenny Young. So she has been on two of our past episodes, uh, one talking about her arachnophobia uh, treatment, which was really, really great. She also was on an episode because she did a TEDx talk that was uh, relevant and it's really, really good. It's about school violence. Um, really, really smart, wonderful talk. She's one of the funniest people I know. And, um, and actually, if you want to meet Willow, she did a curiosity, uh, an episode of our, our new cause uh, thing, uh, curiosity, or curiosity by cause, it's called. You can find it where she took Willow around to meet her neighbors. So people got a chance to see Willow in person. It's a really great video. Um, you can find it at cause effect. That's C-A-H-S-S-E-F-F-E-C-T dot org. Yeah. So yeah. check that out. Anything highly recommend. Them? You recommend as well? You're going to have a curiosity coming out soon, by the way, which is exciting. Yes. I can't wait for that. So awesome. Awesome. Anything else we should plug before we finish up? I think that's it. Awesome. So I want to do another shout out to Hunter, who is killing it on social media for us. You can see his work firsthand. If you go and follow us at Psych and Stuff on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, that's a good place to ask questions or even request episodes or contribute to our new segment, A Positive Note. You can follow me at Rycmart, R-Y-C-M-A-R-T. Georgina, are you on? I know you're on Twitter. I'm What's on, your handle? Yes. Uh, Georgina W-D. So that's G-E-O-R-J-E-A-N-N-A-W-D. Joe, I should ask you, do you have a Twitter handle or anything you want to plug? Where can people find out more about you? Email. That's, that's about the... That's awesome. about the extent of where I am right now, but I will, I will hopefully be building my social media presence. 
That sounds great. And of course, the, the faculty webpage is, there's tons of cool information there about your stuff. So you can find out more about her on the SEP webpage. So it's what uwgb.edu slash SEPP, I think. So excellent. Psychology and Stuff is a production of Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin Green Bay. The executive producer is me, Ryan Martin, and the production manager is Kate Barley. Our audio production coordinator is Bill Salick. Our sound engineer for this episode is Sarah Miller. Thank you, Sarah. Our graphic designer is Kimberly Vlees, and our intern is Hunter Garrett. Special thanks to our guest today, Dr. Joe Morrissey. If you haven't already, please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. You can also head over to our website, uwgb.edu slash podcast, to check out past episodes of this and all our shows. I'm your host, Ryan Martin, and I'm here with my co-host, Georgina Wilson-Dungess. Keep being amazing. Thank you.